Something good just happened there. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with the salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of over $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Adventures in Angular link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Adventures in Angular. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directly. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 50 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello. Ward Bell. Hello there. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Yuri Goldstein. Hi, everyone. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, I'm Uri Goldstein, and I wrote uh, the library that's called Angular Meteor that obviously connects Angular and Meteor together. And yeah, I'm here to talk about that and why I think Meteor is really good for Angular developers. Awesome. So Meteor, it's that isomorphic thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's that isomorphic thing. It's much more, but I guess we would have like little bit into little bit into you want to give people kind of an idea of what meteor is uh yeah so uh, meteor is like is a javascript platform so the idea is to take care of all your needs um from the database to the server until the clients and on the mobile apps and give you best practices and actual tools to make it work out of the box for real-time applications. So out of the box, you get like many, many tools that you know that are working together and you can just start working. And those tools can also contain Angular or React or Blaze or any front-end framework that you like. Very cool. Now, is there a company behind Meteor? Uh, yeah, Meteor is a company uh, that's based in uh, San Francisco, and I think they started four years ago, but I might be horribly mistaken by that. And they're funded by all kinds of like important people, <laughs> uh, largely funded. And yeah, and they have like I think right now about thirty people on board, and they're getting bigger by the day, as it seems. 
So when I first looked at it a while ago, there w- it was sort of – it was just coming uh, uh, out. I think it was two, three years ago. And it was a, a, a total meteor environment and they were all talking about you know sort of seamless front to back and you kind of were all in on everything. There was no room for Angular actually at that time because it was updating the UI – uh, as well as updating your data as a pushing them. So there was all of that, and it wasn't also clear. It was open source, and it wasn't clear how Meteor, uh, with all of its investors, was going to make money. So a lot has changed since then. Is Meteor all open source and free uh, now? What's the role of this thing called Galaxy? What can you tell us about how it's all structured for a developer who's thinking about whether they dare put their app into Meteor? Yeah, good question. So when I started, I obviously been an Angular developer long before I started using Meteor. And I always was intrigued about that Meteor thing, right? Like I saw that their video like building in an app in 10 minutes, like four years ago. And, and I thought, yeah, okay, like, you know, everyone will talk together and everything will be perfect. And when Meteor works with Angular, I'll start doing that. And after, like, I think three years or something, nobody did, like, a serious thing. So I started digging into that. And when I started digging into that, I found out that Meteor is not, like, this big monolithic thing that everyone think it is. It's just a collection of packages. And when I started digging deeper, I saw that they have their own, they're started, like, out of the box with their own uh, front-end UI framework that's called Blaze. And it's a good framework, but I obviously prefer Angular. So uh, I started looking, how can I combine the two? And basically, I started like copying some of the code and looking into how Angular works like deeper. And I think in a matter of like the first version, like in a matter of like a week or two, uh, was working. It was working just for my app, just for my needs, but it was pretty simple and since then, I just started using that more and more. And I think what changed right now is more the story that is being told than the actual code. Like, Meteor was always a collection of packages. I think they just, they took a big task. So they didn't have time to talk about how this is a collection of packages and not just, just like this one solution. Because the top priority was to give you a working platform out of the box, like, uh, which is in the in the JavaScript community right now, I think it's something that is really missing, right? You have all kinds of great tools, like a collection of great tools working separately, which is really good, but when you just want to create an app and you want the guarantee that it works and you don't want to like struggle and lose time or resources on combining versions of two different like libraries, then... This is a really big offering, and, and it's not simple thing. So I guess uh, right now they're starting to, ha- maybe with my job as well, they started to have more time about talking about how Meteor is extensible and why they chose what they chose and how does it fit to the larger JavaScript community story. Right. There's a lot of us who, you know, that, that's amazing that there's something great for somebody who just wants to whip something out. But if we were going to try and build our production app on it, we're going to want to be able to go our own way. And, and part of that also was that it seemed like you had to be hosted on Meteor's own servers at the time. There was some sort of an allusion to what you could take it to someplace else. But for a lot of us, 
that was going to be a non-starter. But you're saying now that I can deploy to AWS or something else, or it's all different, or how does that work? Yeah, I, I, but I think that as long as I know, at least as I know, that was never the story. The story was you could always like use your own things and always replace those stuff. And, and I'm just a guy from the community who did like Angular, right? Uh, you know, like I wasn't... I just took an initiative and, and did that. And other guys did it with like Postgres SQL, which was another like big story about how Meteor doesn't work with SQL. And, ah, and right. it does. And about deploying, it was, you could always deploy it on your own servers. There's now more and more community tools that are really good ones that other companies like based on the e- Meteor ecosystem develop so you can have like like you have one command line to deploy to Meteor, you can have one com- command line and deploy to AWS or Heroku or Modulus or all kinds of other solutions. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad to have all of my misunderstandings uh, shattered. <laughs> I don't think I was the only one who had those because, and and it's natural in the early going. You know, you can, it's hard to get your story communicated in a way that actually comes across to people the way they expected. Like I'm totally blown away that it works with Postgres and not with Mongo. I thought for sure it was locked into Mongo, and you're saying it's not. Yeah. So so about this. So first of all, uh, you're perfectly right that I must say like that was my. The same when I started the, like trying to use Meteor, I was like super angry, I guess. But then I started like because of all the stuff I heard about. But I guess it's like it's the same way when I started using Angular, and everybody told me like who uses Angular. Like I started like super early, and everyone was like, no, you have Backbone and you have like jQuery and everything is great. So why use Ma- Angular? And, and they started saying all kinds of stuff about Angular that when you just tried Angular, you realized they're not true, you know, that it just works. And when you want something to work, it works. So I think for me, Meteor was the same. Like, this is why I think I pushed Meteor so hard because I think on the solution that I wrote, because I think the Angular like philosophy and the Meteor philosophy are so similar and I think because they're both were leaps ahead of the other solutions, it's hard for people to like grasp the whole thing. And it's frightening. I totally agree. But when you start digging into it, and, and now there's better and better explanations about how Meteor works and what Meteor is, you can. I think the fears go. The fear goes away slowly. But I guess the best thing to do to remove the fear is just to try it. About SQL, so there was always rumors about like there's community solutions and stuff like that. And recently I had people like asked me about that and they tried a particular solution uh, from a guy called Ben Green from the Meteor community. And it works like great for them. Like it has live query, which maybe I'll explain later on Postgres's SQL and it also works. Uh, it syncs the client-side cache, so the hardest and the most difficult stuff that Meteor is solving, that package is solving on top of SQL, and it works. So, and, and definitely, and not, I think like yesterday or today, Meteor like released a blog post about what's going to be in Meteor 1.2, and SQL is one of them. So. Definitely, like a core um, development on SQL of the core team. 
That's going to be uh, really open the space for people to consider Meteor because I can, uh, you know, much as many of us like Mongo for some things, some of us are afraid of it for all things. And this is really going to make some of us rethink what our relationship to Meteor will be like. So that's exciting. I don't know that we can take up the show with that, but that's really exciting. This is open source and free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, every, every so how do they make money? <laughs> <laughs> that's an awesome question. The idea is to make like the same easy experience of developing the app as deploying the app. And the idea is that you won't need to take care of scaling, right? So scaling is a huge problem. And a lot of people are asking about that in any technology. Like, I guess every time you want to, like, you're afraid of a technology, the first thing you do is like asking if it scales. And Meteor like already scales, like there's already community practices and community tools that help you with that. But Meteor wants to make it like seamless. So Galaxy is the solution that they're going to charge on. And that's their money making machine, I guess, that you could just deploy to a hosted uh, Meteor uh, solution servers and I just recently saw the unseen interface of this thing uh, that helps you like sync and like uh, organize all your apps, and it's it's amazing. Like I, I work for a few, for a lot of years, I've been working with AWS and a little bit with Heroku, and the the Galaxy thing looks amazing. There's still a little bit more time until it will be like public, but that's the solution for that. And on top of that, if you are, let's say, an enterprise company and you don't want to deploy your apps on, on the cloud, you want to deploy it on your own servers, then the same thing. Like you will get the same tools, but on your own servers. And it will cost money because as a company that want to scale, this money is worth for you to pay. So that's the a revenue story. One of the things that really stands out is the way in which Meteor thinks about change, how it detects changes to data like that user A made, how it detects them on the server, and then propagates those back to users B, C, D, and E. Can you talk a little bit about what that technology is and the challenges of that? Yeah, so I guess like keeping a client-side cache synced in real time is a huge problem. Right, like uh, it's not an easy problem, but it's also a problem that a lot of like real-time apps has, and it's the same problem. Like uh, you can look at about any like real-time, like Google Drive or uh, like Google Docs, Gmail, Uber, and the thing is that you make a change, and then you want the change the change to happen instantly. So you save it on the local database. Right or the local cache or the local database doesn't mm-hmm. matter right now, and then you need to sync this change into the server. But what happens if the same t- so? And that's okay. So like, if you were just living in a perfect world, then you will get like instant changes, which is something that still a lot of apps today doesn't do. Right? Apps today like when they want to save data, they call to the server, and when they get the promise and the response back saying it was succeeded, they say, okay, now, and, and then you can put a spinner or something like that, but that's not like the best uh, UI for real-time applications. 
and users are getting tired of those. So you save it into the local database and it happens instantly and the user is happy. But you have the server which actually knows more about the information. He knows that maybe you don't have permissions for it. He knows that maybe another user changed the same thing. And this is a hard problem, but Meteor's approach was to handle that problem, first of all, in the same way that the databases handled that problem, right? Because databases are great for keeping positions. So Meteor is kind of, a, you could say, agnostic to the database in that term. So if we're working on Mongo, then Mongo has like a last right uh, succeed, right? So if you walk on Mongo in that in that sense, so again, I'm over oversimplifying it and I can have an all, whole lecture about it. And also there's people that are much smarter than me in Meteor, that <laughs> much, much, much smarter than me that knows those stuff. But the, Meteor works in the same way that Mongo solves those hard problems. And if we go to, let's say, if Meteor will walk on top of Postgres SQL, then it will use its way of, of handling those conflicts. But the most important thing is that, let's say, it's actually like inside the solution, and it's all open source, you can look into that, but inside the, the client-side cache, you have actually two client-side cache. One is a reflection of the server, and one is a reflection of the current changes of the client that you're not sure that are, uh, that been persistent on the server. And once you get the conferred message from the server, then it just overrides the current uh, state in the client and you know that your data is true across clients. And this is like, it sounds like very sophisticated and very hard, but the good thing is that Meteor, like you don't need to care about that. Like if you do want to care, it's a package and you can replace it and you can dig in and you can change stuff. But usually because it's a very common problem and Meteor has like thousands of apps running or hundreds of thousands, I don't know, like running with the same problem, then probably they solved it better than what you personally would have done. I'm sure there's particular cases that you want to like start with a different logic, then you can like start messing around with the package itself. But I haven't got to the point that I had to do that um, yet. So if I remember right, Meteor communicates between client and server, because we kind of talked about keeping the cache current, but that's all done through a WebSocket, is that correct? Yes, and on top of that, WebSockets, Meteor like, published a protocol that now there's more and more people in the community that picks up on that protocol because it's an open protocol that's called DDP. And the idea is it's a high-level protocol for real-time uh, changes. So it's a very similar protocol in its philosophy to REST, right? Like, let's say I have a real-time server and or a real-time client right now, and I want to work in front of a Meteor, uh, a Meteor server, but right now maybe I want to work in front of a .NET server. And if I have a particular way of, I'm using like a particular library, let's say Socket.io or something like that, to do those real-time changes over sockets, I have to write a lot of code, and I did that, so I know it's a lot of code, to sync it now with a different server. And the whole point in REST protocol is you don't care about which backend you're working against. So the DDP is like the same thing, but for real time. So there's now clients for DDP, for .NET, for uh, iOS, for Java, for 
you think Go, like, and even just like plain JavaScript. So you can just take this in any other JavaScript client and use the, this protocol. So it's like REST. You can look at it as like REST for real time. So then how does this play into Angular? Because most of the Angular apps I've written, I've been using HTTP, so I haven't been using an actual WebSocket. So I, I just make a request to the server, and then I get stuff back, and I kind of keep things in sync myself. You know, when I get new information, whenever I talk to the server, how does Angular work with the DDP? Before DDP, I just like add a small thing that people like tend to say, and it's inaccurate, is they tend to say that you can't work with REST. Uh, on top of Meteor, and that's not true. Like you can, there's a package that actually like automatically like opens all the REST endpoints if you want, and you can walk like just plain REST with dollar HTTP, and that's perfectly fine with your static uh, front end, and that's okay. But the real benefit of of Meteor is is DDP. So you can take two approaches. One one approaches is you have that local cache already synced. So it means that you can just, uh, with Angular Meteor, you can just bind to that local cache. So it's just like one line. It's a service that uh, I wrote on Angular Meteor. And you just like bind that, let's say, a scope array to that local database array, to the local database collection, and that's it. You don't need to take care of anything. Like Then you can just push the array, splice the array, change inner stuff in the array, and you can just... And Angular will just watch the array and just works. Like like a lot of like really good solutions in the Angular community that the Angular community is used to. So you don't need to care about that. If uh, you want to have your own solution and don't use Angular Media, you can actually write your own DDP client and not use the local cache that Media gives you, but I don't see like why would you want to do that. Like you just bind it with one command line and your rest of the application will just work. You don't need to use HTTP or anything. Just change the data and it will propagate to all the other clients instantly. Well, for those of us who are kind of interested in the sketch of the method, I think that's what Chuck is getting at, the mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, let me see if I've got this right. And we'll, we'll talk to your, we'll say it's your Angular Meteor, but essentially what I'm saying is here's an array that Angular is going to watch, and I want you to manage that for me. And we'll populate it initially with all these customers, but as you, Meteor, learn about changes to customer that I'm interested in, you will maintain that array for me, and therefore my the all the data binding that I've done to that array will be updated for me. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, that's that was much better explanation than what I gave. So, <laughs> thank you. Does that make sense to you too, Chuck? Does that? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah? And that's kind of the way Firebase take. You know, I mean, a, a lot of these things that are reactive, they work that way, where the UI layer hands something to the data access layer and says, "Maintain this for me asynchronously. I'll tell you how to jumpstart it, and then I'm just leaving it up to you down there somewhere, whoever you are." To keep that going for me asynchronously, and we'll just you'll let me know, and we'll rebind the screen. And I think that's that that, that sounded to me like what you were driving at, Yuri. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's that's perfect explanation. <laughs> um, so one of the cool things is that in Angular to the sort of the, that we can't see yet because they haven't really talked about it much, but there's there's <laughs> some uh, noises going on on the data side of the Angular equation where they're developing new techniques for managing such arrays. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's actually I think the most exciting thing about Angular 2.0, in my opinion. But obviously, my opinion is like very specific because I did a lot of work of like syncing Angular and Meteor together, and most of that work will be gone in Angular 2.0 because Angular 2.0 works almost like at least the philosophy that's coming behind it is it works like almost perfectly into Meteor. Like they're talking about a lot about observables and what actually like that you get, let's say, like you said, you're subscribing into this collection and then uh, you just in an observable, you get the changes to that collection from the server all the time. It's like a, a repeated thing. It's not like a promise that you get it once. So Meteor already has a, a cursor.observe like four years ago. And this is actually what I did in what I used when I did Angular Meteor. So I just, I'm getting that observable and handling that data into Angular. So with Angular 2.0, it will be so much easier because I will get like an out-of-the-box observable support. And more than that, I, I don't need to convert this data, uh, this collection data in Meteor, which is just a plain JavaScript object, into a scope array. I could just leave it as a regular JavaScript object and Angular will know that. Angular will recognize that object and that's amazing. Another really interesting thing in Angular 2.0 is something that right now at least it's called pipes, which means that like right now, I know from Meteor what has changed exactly and when. So instead of relying on Angular 2.0 digest cycle, I can just notify Angular, now something has changed. Now this has changed. Now this has changed. And this means that Angular can optimize much better of working with the Meteor data than the optimizations I need to do right now on Angular 1 and Meteor. So very exciting stuff. Like I think performance there will be amazing and simplicity will be amazing. And just one more thing to say about that is that the one-way data binding, I think this is like the approach that like React has gone with and Blaze has gone with as well. And now Angular is like pushing that to the next level and Angular 2.0. And I think this is amazing. Like just looking at the code I had to write to do Angular Meteor now and looking at how much of that I can just delete and Angular 2.0 is very exciting. Well, you, you touched my third rail there by, by knocking two-way data binding. <laughs> but we'll let that one slide for the moment. Uh, <laughs> everybody who listens to the show knows that's a hobby horse of mine. Anyway, but I, I, I wanted to drop back to one of the things that I, again, for our listeners to sort of draw on, uh, attention to, because you were mentioned uh, the observable stuff. And I'm not sure everybody knows what that is, and we can't go deep into it here today. But it's kind of promises on steroids is one way to sort of <laughs> simpli- oversimplify it. But imagine that you can do a lot more than just react to a, a, you know, a chain of success or failures, which is pretty much what Promise allows. It's really a composable system for, for pipelining uh, your interest in this flow of information that could be coming back remotely. So you can do throttling and what if I want to cancel and filtering and delaying and, and, and you can compose all of these different ideas together as you're trying to manage the flow of asynchronous data coming back at you from a server. Is that a fair characterization, Yuri, or would you, would you like to describe what goes on there in, in some other way? 
I think it's okay. Like it depends. Like the details of like the actual implementations are still have to see what the team will come up with, and hopefully I will get also to San Francisco soon so I can like maybe help or give my opinions about that. But I think that there's few things like observables right now in Meteor gives you like exactly what change in a flow. And this is very unique, and I think this is very good for Angular. And if they, were, they will implement the same API on top of observables, or maybe similar API on top of observables as Meteor is doing, then I think everyone will benefit from that. Any other solutions from the community. And about pipes, I think like this is, well, I'm just repeating what I said before. So uh, I, I just think it would be a huge leap. So... I think you're right, and I actually think I called out the most important feature. You, so, because most people don't really know what this this promise versus observable thing is. So, and I suddenly, I'm suddenly reminded of it. You know, and it goes back to what um, Chuck was talking about. We're used to thinking in terms of making a single request of the server and having a single response to manage. Right, that's the way we're used to thinking, and promises are great at that because it's like I wait and then I get it back and I'm done. The promise result is done. Whereas when you're dealing with one of these systems that is pushing things through you continuously, you know you don't need a promise which is done after the first data is received. You need something that's ongoing, that is a way of sort of programming to what do I do as the server can over time continuously keeps throwing things at me, and, and it requires a different kind of abstraction, and that's what observables is bringing and i think that's kind of cool yeah there are a couple of good talks that were given at mountain west javascript conference about this one was Jaffer hussein and i'm trying to remember i could have sworn there was another one i'll try and find it but uh, they really kind of go into okay this is why they're there and this is why they're powerful and they kind of connect all the dots for you so that you can come in and go okay observables this is really cool yeah i think it takes like Observables are like the next, the bringing like real time communication to everyone, right? Like making everyone understand how real time application works. Exactly like you said, like you said, you talked about we're not ending anything. It's not like a static web like it used to be. Data is flowing all the time. And I think everyone is talking about like how Angular is educating people onto new things that are happening and this is one of the biggest thing like let's take our applications and make them handle real-time changes so it's very exciting so the counter to that by the way is that you know we have an awful lot of servers out there that only are request response and they're going to stay that way there's a lot of things that aren't being pushed at you and with observables comes all the complexity of figuring out how to compose those things but an awful lot of our work is going to continue to be that rest story right where we only go out to the server when we want to and we need we need to continue to have a simple mechanism for requesting data waiting for it to arrive and then doing something when it does and that isn't going away there's Going to, you're going to continue to be able to do that even as you're also going to have these other sources like you're describing with Meteor where it's pushing stuff at you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, This is why I said like people think like Meteor is only about uh, real time, but it's just uh, like a node application. So there's a REST support and definitely you don't want to force stuff that are not real time into real time. It will cost you in performance and just in time. So there's no reason not to use REST when it's the perfect uh, reason to use that. So, so let, me, let me piggyback on that and ask you a question. One of the things, uh, you know, whenever I've tried to do this in the past, one of the hard design problems is, it, let's suppose you've got a lot of people out there. 
uh, listening, right? You know, I'm user A. I'm only interested in certain changes coming back to me. And if you bombard me with every friggin' change that's happening on the server, I'm going to fall apart. I'm not going to be, I'm, you know, 99% of the things you're telling me don't interest me. And I'll waste a lot of uh, performance on the client side just listening to your message arrive and discarding it. So what does Meteor do to help make sure that user A hears about the changes that matter to user A and user B hears about the changes that matter to user B? So like in any other like real-time application, it's based on a mechanism, like on a publish-subscribe uh, mechanism. So each client is subscribing only to the changes that it needs to dis- subscribe to. And... You can manage it in a few ways. You can, if you just want to be like, you, do, you just want to have a demo app, you can just send all the data to the client, like you said, and all the clients will sync with all the data, and this is horrible. But it's great for just starting and building something in like a minute that works, and you can, everything is great. But when you start getting into a real app, you actually, you write your own published functions. And those public, published functions are, Really interesting because in any other, let's say, framework, in those published functions, you will have to recognize that something on the database has changed, right? So you will have to write explicit code to understand that, like, let's say, let's take a query, right? Let's take a query that you're working on the score of the 10 highest players, right? You want to display the 10 highest players that score the most, but there's like 100,000 players or 1 million players. So the query will be just like a regular Mongo or SQL query on the publish function. But Meteor, with its package that's called Live Query, will actually update that query in real time without any, but just the, the context that you need, just the, those 10 top players, it, Meteor will take care of updating just those 10 players into you in real time on the server and this is huge like this is for me it's like like the same change that angular did with bindings over jquery right like you don't need to explicitly ask the database anything you just write the query and it live update and then meteor you just write what you want from that query to publish to each client by user id or any other parameters you want like pagination or security or whatever and then the clients just subscribe to the thing they want. So the client can subscribe in any way the server lets him subscribe. So you only subscribe to the particular changes. And when those changes flows into you, you get just the, let's say, the second player got five points more. That's it. That's the only thing you get. So, and it's without a lot of code. So. It's better for performance because you don't need to write a lot of code to explicitly like understand what's happening. And in do- usually in this code, there's a lot of when you write this code in the server, you get a lot of mistakes. And Meteor just like took care of that for you, and that's pretty amazing. I think like for me, moving into Meteor, like suddenly I realized the I learned the server so much better than I used to before. Like. I'm originally like a dot C++ and then a .NET developer. And yeah, and it was a big uh, leap for me to get that. 
I hope I, I answered I, your question. No, no, that that's perfect. And I, I really agree. I think many people have thought the challenge of this was how do I just flow the data over to a client and stick it in a client-side cache? I agree that the really hard part of this problem happens on the server where it has to detect that there's a meaningful change and make sure that it tells only the right people about those changes. That is just and wicked hard, and if you can make it easy for the client to express through a subscription what it is and only what it is that that client wants to hear about and then handle the rest under the covers, you know, that's a real uh, amazing piece of technology. And I think that what I've read about what Meteor does in that way is pretty, um, uh, you know, I don't know what the reality is, but what I've read is sure good. Oh, there's a, not, I'm not, not the only one, obviously, but the, I have like three production apps before I moved to Meteor, like before I, I moved to Meteor, I, I had like, uh, I wrote apps for clients that are, real-time and scale, and some of them works on hospitals, and it works. Like, it's pretty amazing. Obviously, I haven't tested that on hospitals the first time. I waited to do a lot of, like, tests before, but it's a pretty amazing piece of technology, like you said. Like, it's, I'm, def- I'm still mind-blown, like, definitely. So the thing that worries me now, going back to the client, is uh, let's say I'm in the middle of, uh, you know, I'm a user and I'm looking at thing and the world looks a certain way and I'm in the midst of changing it. And then uh, Meteor wants to tell me that something has changed and I'm in the middle of working on it. And if you just go blow up everything I knew a second ago because new information has arrived, well, that was a, vi- yeah, I know I want to know it eventually, but that's very inconvenient for you to just rock my world with changes all the time. So h- is there a way in which uh, I can write my app so that I'm aware of the information arriving from the client, but I can manage the shock to the user that things have changed? Yeah, definitely. Like, first of all, it depends on how you want to implement it. Like, you can do everything, right? You have that local, um, you can have that local cache. Let's say uh, it's a, and you decided to bind it into a certain uh, scope array. So that's scope array. Now you know that's your one source of truth. Now you can do whatever you want with that one source of truth. You can work just on top of it, which means that. If there would be a change, you will get it instantly and it will delete your things. But if, let's say, you were in a form and just like in, I think, in, even in the Angular example, you can just take that data into the form and then on the save, on the save button or receipt button or whatever. And we add, actually in Angular Media, we added like helpers for you to do those stuff. Then you can just only on those occasions, you can sync the data. Only on those occasions, you will sync the data. And also in those occasions, you can stop and say, show me what has changed and then do some kind of logic. But it's something that we give helpers to give you to do that. But it's on the, it's, I mean, the client should decide what it wants to do in the terms. Like out of the box, you have one array that you know has, this is your one uh, source of truth. And it will always be that one source of truth. Now you can do whatever you want with it. That's the ray of hope that, that somebody who wants to pursue this gets to, gets to go follow. So that's, that's a great answer, Yuri. I'm tempted to ask also about what the offline story is, but I'm mindful that we have, we have filled the bucket of people's minds here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are we, Chuck? My brain's melted. So, <laughs> so, so I'll just touch it like a minute. So you could have – this is a client-side cache, but there is a package that's called GroundDB that you can decide which data uh, from this cache will be also uh, persistent inside the local storage. 
And I think there also gives you all kinds of ways of different local storage to work with, but you can just Google GroundDB. But they also take care of that like local storage to be sync. It's kind of like, I think there's ng storage uh, in Angular. So maybe something similar. But yeah, so I'll stop now and I'll, you can Google GroundDB, I guess. So what's your big takeaway? What should we come away? Um, what's our next action step from your perspective, Yuri? So first thing, just try. Like, I mean, I wrote everything I've done on my applications. I just wrote in a tutorial and it's an open source tutorial. I just wanted the people to use it. It's on the angularmedia.com website. It's from step zero to step like 20 now, right? Like it starts with nothing. I follow the, the Angular tutorial, which I think the Angular tutorial is great. It made me start using Angular. And it gets to the point that you have a search with pagination, on the, uh, like real-time search and pagination and sorting all the way to the server and handling files and Google Maps and everything and Ionic working with Ionic framework. So just try, like, forget about what everyone is talking about. Think about how much bad stuff people talk, talked about Angular when it, when it just started. I, I feel like it's the same with Meteor. Just try. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And if you are, uh, my profile is public and you can start spamming me with curses. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, what an invitation, Yuri. I'll just take you up on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to practice cursing, um, <laughs> as everybody knows. Well, that that's that's terrific, Yuri. Thank you for for that. Thank you, thank you for for listening to me talking so much. <laughs> no, it was really really interesting, and you know, it's it's fascinating to me just some of the things that Meteor has come up with to solve its problems, and the fact that you can take advantage of that in your Angular apps is just also very interesting. So, all right, Thanks. well. Should we go and do picks? Let's do picks. All right, Joe, do you have some picks for us? I mentioned this on JavaScript Jabber. I'm going to be speaking at Angular Connect this fall. I'm really excited about that. And so I want to pick Angular Connect just because uh, there's no such thing as too much Angular. (laughs) Uh, But mostly because there's no such thing as too much me. Ain't that the truth. (laughs) Can't argue with that. I couldn't get enough of you last week. (laughs) So um, I hope that Ward Bell will be there. Are you going to go, Ward? How can you called me out right here on the show? All right. So we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you'll you'll be there dressed as dapper as ever. And uh, so I want to pick uh, Angular Connect, and then uh, the other thing I want to pick is uh, uh, ngclick dot uh, com. So it's all the time when um, you are doing like want to look up something. Say you want to look up uh, ng messages, right? So if you just go to ngclick.com slash ngmessages, what happens is it'll redirect you to the ngmessages page on angularjs.org. It'll automatic, It basically just does the text search on angularjs.org for you, but figures out what page you want to go to. So any documentation on Angular that you want to find, if you just go to if you just browse to ngclick.com slash and then whatever your search is, you know, it could be a phrase or whatever, it will automatically run that for you in, on angular.org. I think it actually uses Google's I'm feeling lucky, but limits it to angularjs.org. So uh, it's just a really slick way. And there's a, there's a similar one for MDN, mdn.io, if you want to search the Mozilla Developer Network. But I think that this ngclick.org is really slick. 
So that's my second pick. And uh, by the way, Angular Connect is this fall in October for anybody who's wondering. All right, Ward, do you have some picks? Well, I have something that I'm working on with Victor Savkin of the Angular team. By the way, Victor is one heck of a good guy and smart guy and busy guy. Uh, and he's responsible for a lot of the data binding stuff. And as many, you know, some of our listeners may know, I'm on the warpath to defend whatever it is that we, we develop, business developers think we're doing when we think we're, we're doing two-way data binding. So they put, the, you know, they put the challenge to us to come up with scenarios that we use that uh, require two-way data binding. And then they're matching it with examples that work in Angular 2. So Victor and I have made some progress on that. I wrote some uh, Angular 1 samples that do what I think are the range of things I think are important. And he's written the Angular 2 side. And um, we're still in the process, but by the time the show comes out, um, we'll have a link here to some Angular 2 samples. Now, there are lots of different samples there, but I think these are going to be very interesting ones for people who are interested in how to build business applications with uh, the, you know, the take user input and do, do the kind of binding we think we're doing when we think Sounds we're awesome. doing two-way, two-way binding. So I'm going to put that into our show notes so that people can hear about it, and I hope to come back later and be able to, to speak to it. But the, the, the hint hint is that what Victor has come back with is in the way of, you know, I threw down the gauntlet and throw the challenges at him. And what he seems to be coming back with is is something that's going to cover the ground. Uh, you know, so I'll have more to say on that. But here, the link is coming. Very nice. All right, I've got a couple of picks. My first pick is the app that I use to listen to my podcast called Downcast. Um, I just got a new iPhone six plus, and uh, so I put Downcast on it, and I've been getting my podcast set up on it so that I can enjoy them there. I also really like the big screen, so I'm going to pick iPhone six plus. And I think that's all I've got in the way of picks this week. Yuri, do you have some picks for us? Uh, yeah, so I thought a lot about it. And the way that I live is that I travel all over the world. I have everything I own in just one bag. So my pick is actually uh, my bag, which is, uh, I'll, I'll post the link into it, but it's a really cool bag. I'm going all over the world programming with people. And, and it has everything I own in my life just in that bag. And Lucas has the same bag, actually. Another thing I'm going to add soon is, and I'll post a link into that soon, is to actually place a solar panel on top of this bag so I can also charge my, my laptop while I'm walking outside. Very so nice. that's, those are my, I guess, very special picks. And just like one pick for like self-promotion is that I think the best intro I gave was to Angular Media for people to start and understand what it is, is the, my NG Vegas talk that I showed there how to, I just on the, on the talk, I created an app in like 10 minutes with a camera and, and a mobile app. And I showed Angular 2.0 with Meteor and Angular Server, which we haven't had the chance to talk to, but it's a way to write Angular code on the server with Meteor. So oh, cool. those are my picks. Well, definitely going to look at those, and next time you're in San Francisco, look me up so I can see your bag. Yeah, cool, cool. Thank you. I know, right? All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, Yuri. Thank you guys for having me. It was a great pleasure, and I'm super excited. 
This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 